0: Just
1: between us Just between us
2: Hey. Between us. hey. Yeah. Hello! I'm Allison Raskin. I'm a writer, director, and non-bra wearer. I'll wear a bralette, but that's it. <laughs> Hi, I'm
3: Gabby Don. I'm a writer, bi bisexual icon. Wink! And I don't like those inflatable dinosaur costumes that everyone wears. What do you mean? Do you know? Do you know what I'm talking about? No. Oh, they're like, they're like really popular. They're for, like,
2: wait, for Halloween or for real life?
3: For Halloween, but also oh, thank like, God. no, not just for Halloween. Like people,
2: I've seen people wear them like to be funny. Okay, so but it's not just like a weird outfit some people wear during the day.
3: Uh, no, no, it's to like make a, a statement. Yeah, it's a, it's a real statement outfit. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's just like I've seen a lot of them, and like I get it. It's like wow, I have an inflatable dinosaur, incredible. But like, ugh, it's oh, I feel like I feel like Meryl Streep and the Devil Wears Prada. Like, oh, florals for spring, sh- groundbreaking.
2: Oh, I did not see a Devil Wears Prada quote coming from you this morning. But <laughs> this is just between us, a variety show filled with heartfelt advice. Ridiculous games. And brutal honesty. We have got a very awesome episode for you guys today. We're going to be talking to Ella Dawson, who is an STD activist. I love her so much. She's incredible. And later we'll be discussing what makes you an adult. But first, hit it. International question. International question. International question. Addie, Austin, Texas, baby. Woo. So Addie's question is, Is it terrible for me to tell my best friend that I don't think I can be a bridesmaid in her wedding because I feel dysphoria when wearing a dress? I have so many thoughts. I thought you would. Uh, Some more information. I'm a 26-year-old cis woman, but I am gay, and since coming out a few years ago, I have presented as more gender-neutral and androgynous. I feel incredibly uncomfortable expressing myself in any type of feminine way. Uh, my best friend I've known for over a decade is getting married in a few months, and she asked me to be a bridesmaid. I feel honored to be a part of an important day for her, but she wants everyone to wear matching dresses, which I don't feel comfortable with. She feels anxiety about it, she mentioned. Yes. So part of me just thinks I should suck it up for her sake, since it will only be a few hours of my life, to help be a part of such an important day for her. But I've had several panic attacks already just at the thought of it. I can't imagine what I'll be like the actual day of the wedding. Please help. Okay, so
3: there's a spot between not being in the wedding and wearing a dress, which is just asking
2: to wear a suit. This is tough, right? Because the woman's vision is of her wedding and the whole thing is, like, you don't want to disrupt someone's vision of their wedding and people, like, really care about photos. And so maybe Addie's really worried that if she has to be in a suit, she'll completely, like... Ruin the photos and and ruin the girl's vision. Sure, But I still think you got to (laughs) ask.
3: Also, like, if your friend loves you and cares about you enough to have you in her wedding, why would she want you to be having a panic attack on the day of her wedding? Exactly. Why would she want you to be going through dysphoria? Why would she, like, want you to be having this much stress about it? Like, you absolutely, if you're close enough, you should be able to talk to her.
2: Can you just uh, give a little bit of a description of what she means by dysphoria?
3: Uh, sure. Uh, it's the feeling where, I mean, I'm not an expert. Um, it is like the feeling where you, uh, you don't feel like right in your body. Um, that's like a very basic description of it. Uh, I'm a cis person, so I'm not like fully informed on how it actually feels. I've heard not great. Uh, so like. I, I just think, like, it, if you're going to cause someone to feel that, it's so intense and it's so hard and triggering and, like, bad. And, like, I I totally understand why she's having panic attacks. And, like, I think, like, you got to ask. I don't think you should have to suck it up. I think you got to ask uh, if you can wear something else. My, my ex-girlfriend was a bridesmaid in a wedding. And everyone was wearing, um, you know, red wine-colored outfits. And uh, she was like, can I wear a suit and she wore a suit in the wedding and uh, it was like totally fine. She looked great in the photos. She matched color wise and it looked cool because it was like a different, you know, a different take on uh, like this thing that was so similar.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think this is a classic example of you anticipating your friend's reaction, you know, so like thinking like it's dress or nothing. Um, And I think you really need to give your friend an opportunity to be a friend and to tell her the truth and to tell her how you're feeling and to express that you really would prefer to wear a suit and see what your friend says. You know, like you might be building up this huge problem that's not even real because your friend might in one second be like, oh, no problem.
3: Yeah. I mean, I also think um, you're not imposing. You know, there's this thing often with queer people where we feel like uh, we're imposing that, like, any kind of thing that we do, we feel really weird about it because we've been told so many times that we're, you know, maybe, like, our parents were like, you're doing this to me. Or, like, when someone chooses to use they-them pronouns, people are like, oh, this is so annoying for me. So I think it's, like, a, a real anxiety that that you have that is, like, sort of based in, like, queer trauma. But um, but if this is your friend and they love you, it's, like, not a larger thing. It's, like, just down to a interpersonal interaction
2: and if let's say worst case scenario your friend is like no I'm really sorry I need everyone to wear dresses then guess what you just won't be a bridesmaid do you know what I mean like to me to me if this person won't give you that allowance and like won't like make an exception for you because of like dysphoria and severe anxiety then like honestly you don't need to show up for her on her wedding day you don't need to be her bridesmaid yeah that's fucking that's so shitty also, I'd love to give my favorite piece of advice, which is reverse the roles. And if your best friend was freaking out and having panic attacks and so distressed about something involving your wedding, don't wouldn't you want them to tell you? So yeah. that So that you could just be like, oh, my God, forget it. <laughs> like, yeah. No, we'll figure this out. Like, you know, I think sometimes we don't give our friends the benefit of the doubt that they, like, want to know that you're upset so that they can, like, solve the problem. Yeah, absolutely. I also think it's an interesting thing where – you don't feel comfortable bringing that up to her. Yeah, why? And so that makes me bummed out. And I think that like like we just have been saying, you know, getting used to voicing how you feel, I think it's just going to behoove you so much in your life in general.
3: Yeah, because you're look, you're starting this journey and I think you're going to have to speak up for yourself all the time. It it sucks, but like That's the thing with people who don't conform to gender is you're going to have to speak up for yourself or judge when to speak up for yourself all the fucking time. And it's like really, uh, you know, like it's shitty. I have friends who are like, do I say something to my doctor who's misgendering me? Do I say something, you know, to the barista? Do I say something to like you? It's like you just have to kind of build up the muscle of speaking up for yourself, I think.
2: And like this isn't similar. I mean, this is vaguely related, but like with my OCD stuff, like yeah, do you say something or not? Right. And I, I've in the last few years, I've started saying stuff. Mm-hmm. And like, I'll just be like, "Sorry, can I clean this quickly?" Or "Sorry, I'm not comfortable here." Or like what? And I'll just be like, "I have OCD." And then it's like people can do with that what they will. <laughs> yeah. But I'm not. I'm not both freaking out and keeping it to myself. You know, mm-hmm, and like mm-hmm. when you compound those two things, it's so much worse. Where mm-hmm. even just being able to say I'm feeling uncomfortable can like help alleviate the situation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So let's say you go to your friend, and your friend is like, "My my mom thinks that's weird," or like mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. the photographer thinks that's going to be weird. Then you just say, "Okay, well then, you know, I'm I'm happy to like come." get ready with you and like mm-hmm. do all the bridesmaid stuff but if you don't want me in the photos or if you don't want me to walk down the aisle that's fine yeah you have to be prepared to not to not do it and also like it. fucking put that on your friends to have to tell you no yeah versus you having to like be Suck uncomfortable up. with who you are and how you present yourself yeah let's I, make her make the hard decision yeah
3: truly cause you're not do- you're not doing anything wrong by being who you are and I think a lot of times queer people
2: feel that way Also, there's nothing I love more than a lady in a suit. Right? Oh, incredible. Well, if you want to submit your international questions, send it to justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. That's justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. Stay tuned after the break. We'll be talking all about herpes. Just between Back to Just Between Us. It's time for the juiciest, most scandalous, controversial segment known to all of podcasting. Tough questions. Hello. We are here
3: this week with Ella Dawson, a personal friend of mine, but also, and Allison's. She consulted on our book, Please Send Help. And she's an STD uh, activist and writer. Uh, Hello, Ella. Hi there. So she's calling in from New York. Which is very fancy.
0: Yes, I feel very cool. I'm alone in a studio uh, at a huge table with just me.
2: Oh, perfect. And isn't that a metaphor for how we all feel all the time?
0: (laughs) Yes, absolutely.
2: Uh, So Ella, you, um, I mean, I don't know if you intended to become a herpes activist, but can you tell us a little bit about your journey?
0: I don't know if anyone ever intends to be a herpes <laughs> activist. True. Uh, sure. I So I was always a sex writer. I was always really interested in reproductive health and justice. And I studied gender studies in college, which everybody asked me, what are you going to do with that? Turns mm-hmm. out you turn STDs into fame, apparently. <laughs> and... When I was in college, I wound up getting diagnosed with genital herpes, uh, strain HSV-1, for those of you who are curious for the details. And (laughs) it was interesting. I was plunged into a lot of shame and embarrassment and confusion, and I felt like my life was over. And a lot of these messages I'd internalized without even realizing it about STDs kind of uh, dogpiled me all at once about how people with STDs were promiscuous or dirty or irresponsible and contaminated and... Thankfully, because I was a gender studies major, I very quickly was like, wait a second, where have these messages come from? And because I was someone who always loved talking about sex already, it felt very natural to start taking my inner demons and making it into content um, and exploring the way that I was feeling and, and why I was feeling this way through my writing. So eventually, a few years later, when I had the confidence, I wrote an essay for Women's Health about why I love telling people that I have herpes. And I I had never really written or freelanced before, but the article went super, super viral And I started to hear from people all over the world who also had herpes and and had felt very ashamed and alone. And it kind of catapulted me into accidentally becoming the face of herpes for a while, which was not the plan, but a pleasant (laughs) surprise. And uh, yeah, I've since then kind of moved away from talking about herpes just because there's you run out of things to say eventually. But it's still something that obviously I live with. Herpes is incurable. And it's something more people should talk about and know about because it's shockingly common.
3: What were you surprised to learn like that was incorrect or, you know, something that you had stuff that you had internalized that then you figured out isn't true?
0: Yeah. So the first myth that I came across very quickly is that condoms don't prevent all transmittable STIs. I had always thought that. Condoms were kind of the fail-safe of as long as you use them correctly, you would be fine and Mm -hmm. nothing bad would ever happen to you. And the truth is that herpes is not transmitted through fluids. It's transmitted through skin contact and condoms don't necessarily cover everything. And you can have have, um, herpes that's oral herpes and you can transmit it through oral sex. There are all kinds of ways that herpes can be transmitted. And while there are ways to take precautions and to be safer me just using condoms wasn't going to keep me from contracting something as common as herpes. So that that was kind of a, a head trip to realize, mm-hmm. like, the kind of fail-safe I, I thought I had as someone who even volunteered for Planned Parenthood wound up being woefully untrue. That's and, a failure of our yeah. sex
3: education system, probably.
0: <laughs> Also that. Also that. I I went to an abstinence-only high school, and clearly that really set me up for success, I would say.
2: Like, how long was the transition between the shame and then when you finally, like, wrote that article and, like, put it out there?
0: I was diagnosed with herpes in May 2013. Yes, that sounds right. And then I wrote for Women's Health in April 2015. So it took me about two years to really... Gather the strength and uh, self-righteousness to (laughs) start publishing for a major publication. Um, I had written a little bit about it on my blog, and I gave a talk at my school for a class. Like, I kind of experimented in starting putting the feelers out, and I always just was met with a lot of curiosity and warmth as opposed to judgment, and thankfully that helped me break down my own fear about what would happen. And while it hasn't always been a super easy breeze being someone who's so public identified with an STD. Uh, At the same time, like, I've never received the type of backlash that I expected when I first got diagnosed. No one has ever, no one important has ever told me, oh, you're an irresponsible, dirty slut, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. It's people in the most, for the most part, are, are mostly just intrigued by something they realized they carried a lot of assumptions about and... They're excited, even if they're a little nervous, to learn more about it and and to protect themselves and to to be a more informed sexual being.
3: What was it like the first time you were sleeping with someone new and you told them that you had herpes? I know you've written about that.
0: Yeah, I so the first time that I slept with somebody new after getting diagnosed, he was a a friend who I was getting to know, and we. We were attracted to each other, but we weren't necessarily going to act on it. I, I was just getting out of a relationship, and he was um, he was living his own life. But so, my disclosing herpes came out of a conversation um, that was more just about like, "How's your school year going?" Kind of sucks. I have herpes, and I'm still kind of getting over that. So, thankfully, he was able to digest that information on his own and then mm. decide, "Hey, I want to ask out this person anyway." Um, but the first time that I like actually seriously dated someone was kind of a rom-com meet cute situation where this guy who was really cute and interested in me at a party um, made a herpes joke in front of me. (gasps) And yes. What was Um, it? Very sweet boy. Uh, We were both in college at the time and norovirus was going around, which is like a weird stomach bug situation that goes through like dorms like the plague. Mm -hmm. And he wasn't going to finish his beer and he asked me if I wanted it. And I made a joke about like, you don't have the norovirus, do you? He was like, I don't have herpes either with like little finger guns. He thought he was really clever. And uh, <laughs> it was just one of those moments where at first I was really embarrassed. And then I realized this was a guy who had been hitting on me all night and would probably be mortified to realize he just insulted me to my face. And I very I, without even really thinking about it too much. I was just like, well, you know, I have I have herpes and a lot of people do. And that's not very funny. And like he looked like he'd been hit by a truck. He was so mortified. <laughs> oh, my and God. I love what that. I, It was honestly really adorable. And we wound up dating for a really long time after that. Like, it was such a perfect um, moment of him being embarrassed, not that he had been hitting on a girl who had herpes, but that he had just insulted her to her face. What did he say in that moment? He was like, I'm so sorry. (laughs) He was just like overflowing with apologies and immediately started like looking up herpes, like facts on his (laughs) smartphone when he thought I wasn't listening. Um, So I was lucky that I had a lot of like really rewarding and adorable disclosures up front uh, where I wasn't really rejected. I had one or two, but for the most part, I, I was pleasantly surprised by how kind people are when they're faced by something like this. Everyone has baggage.
2: I think there's something to having an actual face to this like scary thing that you hear about and you're like oh well she seems fine (laughs) you know like yeah just like it feels like this thing that like happens to other people but like as with like all things it's like the moment you like meet someone who's going through that you're like oh it's not that big of a deal or this is so much closer to me than I thought it would be yeah what is like the day-to-day of of having it and have you had flare-ups and what has that been like
0: there are two major strains of herpes, but the way that herpes impacts your body varies a lot from person to person. So I can only speak for my own experiences. Um, I have HSV one, which is usually associated with oral herpes, but can be genital, which it is in my case. Um, I've had, I think, three outbreaks since I was since I received it, since I was gifted it six <laughs> years ago. Um, and for me, I had the first initial outbreak after it was transmitted to me, which like. Which sucked. Like, I'm not going to glamorize having herpes. Like, it did. It did suck. I had a lot of sores that were painful, and um, and you tend to have like feverish symptoms for your first outbreak. So you're fatigued. You're you're running hot. You're mm-hmm. very cranky, and you're dealing with the psychological impact as well. So that first outbreak lasted about a week. And um, did you know what not... it
2: was when it started happening? Or
0: so I. I'm one of those weirdos that love the doctor, and I immediately went to the student health clinic, so I had maybe two hours of being like, maybe I just cut myself while shaving Mm -hmm. in eight different places, but... (laughs) The, the nurse practitioner very quickly was like, this is herpes. It's fine. We diagnose people with this every day at this school because oh, everyone her. here has a lot of sex. Yeah, she was amazing. Some people have really traumatic experiences getting diagnosed because there's a lot of stigma even within the medical profession. But the nurse practitioners at my college were so like, you have to be pretty liberal to work at a university like the one I went to. Wesleyan is one of the more like wacko lefty progressive schools and she very quickly was like this is herpes you're gonna be fine here a bunch of pamphlets here's how to talk about it with your partner do you want to go talk to the therapist upstairs like she was great yeah so that that first outbreak lasted about a week they put me on Valtrex which is the uh, most common herpes medication um, and that helped suppress it in my immune system and I took some Tylenol for pain and then it went away and I didn't have another outbreak for two years um it just it wasn't relevant to my daily life um, and then my second and third outbreaks were just triggered by stress they were moments where i was either traveling for work or i was having just a lot of stress in general actually both related to work yeah <laughs> and those were moments where my body was just like we can't keep up with what's going on in your life right now so you're going to have a few sores and yeah, it's, it's like when suck. you get the flu when you're yes. traveling
3: for work and you're like well exactly well so, um, but day to day, were you on medication or no?
0: I did take Valtrex as a suppressive medication for a while, which is just like one daily pill to help prevent the risk of outbreaks mm-hmm. and also lessens the risk of transmitting to your partner. For me that was more of like um it was something that my partner wanted me to go on because he was a little nervous about his own status, which I respected. And uh so it, it, it gave us peace of mind. Um It's also possible to transmit herpes when you're not having an outbreak. It's something called asymptomatic viral shedding, which is when, for some reason, the virus is active in your body and you're not having an outbreak, but it's possible to transmit. Um, And that, to me, is kind of like the boogeyman of herpes. It's something like Mm -hmm. less than 10% of the time. But when you're on a suppressive medication, it can bring it down to maybe 1% or 2% risk of transmitting. So. I, I have gone on Valtrex for some periods of time before. Uh, I found that it just really messed with my appetite, so I stopped taking it. And now I, I don't take anything for it. Um, my partner is very chill about herpes, and and we we talk about it. He's fully informed and consenting to it. And for him, it's just not, not a risk that he's very worried about. Um, he also, he's, he's a little older than I am, and I feel like by the time you reach that age, you've just... If you were going to get herpes, you would have gotten it by now. <laughs> so, <laughs> Is that true? Just, are some yeah. people
2: more like susceptible to it than others? Like just based on your immunities? I,
0: if you have a compromised immune system, it can be more likely for you to for you to uh, contract herpes. Uh, in his case, it's more just like the older you are, the more likely you are to have already encountered it in some form. And herpes also can be transmitted through families. Like a lot of people get yeah. it when they're little kids because their aunt kissed them on the mouth when they had a cold sore or something like that. So um, I've, I've had a lot of partners who have just been like, hey, I, I, I might already have it and just be asymptomatic. I'm not that worried about it. And also you're cute. So <laughs> yeah. It hasn't really it's, it's comical. Like I forget I have herpes a lot of the time, except for the fact that people still think of me as the herpes girl. And that's always a funny moment of cognitive dissonance of like, wow, this actually is quite irrelevant but this is the uh, the flag I've planted so <laughs>
2: Have you ever regretted going public with it?
0: I've had moments like I think anytime you make uh, an irreversible life decision you're going to have moments of doubt but yeah. for the most part I don't regret it just because it hasn't closed any doors that I would have wanted open for me right. I the odds of me fitting in at like a super corporate conservative office were never very high so if if somebody's not going to hire me, if someone's not going to date me, if someone's going to judge me for being open about having herpes, they probably wouldn't have been in my life anyway um, before I, received herpes i was already writing erotica and was super interested in feminism and ran my university's sex magazine like that ship had sailed so (laughs) i really it's it's not really something i regret just because it's in the big picture of who i am it's it's just one more thing on top of another a lot of other little things
2: do most people take daily medication or have you found that a lot of people have those side effects and, and choose not to
0: I'm not really sure what the stats are. Um, I think that it's a very individual decision of is this something that you want to take for your peace of mind? Do you have frequent outbreaks where Valtrex can help? Can really help you and make a difference in your life? Um, I, I think that it it does really vary. For me, I have such a chill relationship with herpes because of my body um, fighting it off or whatever it might be. I really don't understand science, I'll be honest. Um, (laughs) It's just not something that I need, but I think it depends. I think people are more likely to go on it, this is my own suspicion, when they've been more recently diagnosed Mm -hmm. because they're they're still afraid and they haven't really learned how it works in their body yet. Like... I now know my triggers. My triggers for outbreaks are extreme stress or travel. Uh So I'll sometimes take Valtrex just for a few weeks around big business trips, uh, particularly international travel where I'm not sleeping as well. Yeah. Um, And that's enough for me. So I I think that everyone can find their own rhythm, and especially when talking to their doctors, if they have a good doctor they can can be honest with, makes a huge difference too.
3: What are some of the, like, stories that came in after you disclosed, like what what were the ones that really struck you?
0: Oh, man. Um, I hear a lot from teenage girls, um, particularly since I joined Instagram. I hear a lot from teenage (laughs) girls too. Um, But I find that teenage girls who are diagnosed or women in their 20s have, they get hit by so many different levels of shame when they get diagnosed because it's not just, oh, I have this really stigmatized STD. It's also what does this mean about me as as am I a slut now? Like you get hit by the slut shaming too um, when you get diagnosed. And I think that teenage girls are so taught that their value is in their bodies that when you are diagnosed with an incurable infection of some kind, that really messes with you. Um, I also think teenage girls are just more likely to talk about things that are shameful in the sense that teenage boys are really left isolated. I'm making huge gendered, assumptions here i apologize for that um but i find that teenage girls will write me like very long letters about what's gone on mm-hmm. and um and they're very willing to share those experiences they they want to feel less alone and for me like the most impactful and disturbing letters are from teenage girls who are in abusive relationships um yeah. because either either their partner has given it to them and they're a jerk or their partner then can use it as a tool in their arsenal, in their emotional abuse of you're so lucky I'm staying with you even though you have herpes mm-hmm. or um, I'm so brave to be with you or you should be so grateful. No one will ever love you other than me. Like it becomes a really dangerous cudgel And I had that experience when I was diagnosed, it really, it made it a lot harder for me to recover when I was with the partner who used it against me. And so when I hear from teenage girls who are in that situation, it like, that's why I still have these conversations is because I'm like, we got to protect these teens Mm -hmm. of whatever gender this is, they're so set up to fail by our sex education. And when you receive a diagnosis like this, it can really throw your identity and self of sense of self out the window. Um, and there are people who struggle with self harm, um, with mental health after this. Like, one of the reasons why herpes isn't on a standard STD screen is that doctors think that a diagnosis is so anxiety producing that you're better off not knowing if you're asymptomatic because a diagnosis can just mess you up so much in your head. That's um, crazy. Really? Yeah. That's why? It's part of the reason. Yeah, there are a few different reasons. They, they're, it's, pretty common for people to get false positives, which is not ideal. Herpes mm. testing is kind of weird because they have to detect antibodies in your blood. And it's also a fairly expensive test. You don't just pee in a cup. But one of the reasons is just that it's it's upsetting. It's unnecessarily upsetting for patients. If you're asymptomatic and you're probably never going to have an outbreak, to suddenly receive this diagnosis is too disruptive to your life. Um, and I have mixed feelings about that because I think that everyone should be informed about their bodies. But As somebody who struggles with anxiety, depression, I also totally get it at the same time. (laughs) Yeah. So it's complicated.
2: So you said that when you found out you were in a relationship with someone, and how did that go?
0: Oh, God. What a charmer. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I feel like everyone needs to date one sociopath in their life. Like, it just winds up happening, and hopefully you get it out of the way with minimal harm, and you've learned lessons to take with you as you choose future partners. Sure. Um... Yeah, I was dating somebody in college not for very long when I was diagnosed, and he was just like—I was going through a a self-destructive, rebellious phase of my own, so my judgment was not the most sound, but he was, in my opinion, a pretty typical— narcissist emotional abuser, Mm -hmm. um, where at the beginning of the abusive relationship, everything is it's this amazing honeymoon where you're constantly being loved bombed by affection and praise and Mm -hmm. you spend all of your time together and slowly you're isolated from your friends and your family and you don't even really notice. And I think I'll never know what would have happened if I wasn't diagnosed with herpes. Um, It's possible we would have figured it out and he would have actually been a nice person who who knows who's to say
2: I doubt it Um, yeah
0: I don't think so either but you never know um but it it really we were both immature we were both pretty ignorant and it pretty quickly became the ultimate bargaining chip in our relationship where he could do whatever he wanted and be as nasty as he wanted because at the end of the day he was still such a good person for staying with me Uh. and Eventually, I realized, with the help of a very frank best friend and a lot of research, um, he was he was full of of crap. Like, I will never know how I got herpes. It's it's not one of those things you can ever pinpoint, but. In retrospect, it's far more likely that he introduced it to the relationship than I did. That's my theory as to what happened, that he probably carried it or had it or I don't know, maybe was lying to himself. I don't know. But and honestly, I don't if he were to have given it to me, that's I'm not upset about that. It's an accident. But the fact that there were slurs introduced to the relationship about what a, what a horrible whore I was and how I ruined his life. Like, that's what, in retrospect, I'm like, that's unacceptable. There's never a reason for somebody to mistreat you and insult you and berate you. No matter who has done what, it's it's never okay. And it took me a really, really long time to unpack our relationship and understand what happened and to stop feeling guilty. But the gaslighting was just, oh boy. Um, And that's really relatable
3: to you saying that that's like the thing that you get written into is people dealing with that in their
0: relationships. Yes. Trying to, it's people who are struggling with guilt and confusion and shame. Mm -hmm. And that makes you very easy to manipulate
1: Mm -hmm. because if you're
0: already doubting your value, you're already doubting how good a partner you are and how worthy you are of love. And in walks somebody who's like, hey, you're so lucky to be with me. That's a disaster. And, as well as if, if you're not turning to your support groups, your 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 family and your friends, because you're afraid of being judged and you can't tell the people around you, hey, I have herpes, you're even more cemented to that abuser because they're the one person you feel comfortable telling you have this STD. It's, it's a real vicious trap. Well, that's
3: why what you do is so important. That's why you being open about it is so important. And that's why people should rethink like their offhand herpes joke you know it's not it's that thing where you're like how how much damage could it be doing and it's like "Uh, a lot
2: also i think it's safe to say that narcissistic gaslighting assholes are way more harmful than a little std
0: (laughs) (laughs) i would agree with you there (laughs) i
3: would agree with you there (laughs) you were saying you became the face of, of herpes and i just think that that's like such an important thing that like if no one else is taking up the mantle if no one else is like willing to go to to put it out there in like a you know a, a magazine like that it's like that's when you know that what you're doing is important
0: thank you and there there were people who came before me there were other herpes activists and people telling their story there was Janelle Marie Pierce who runs the STI project um but there hadn't been a lot of like Super viral stories um, I don't think there had ever been like a feature In BuzzFeed before me yeah. I think that I, the timing was right People were starting to have conversations About, about body shaming and, and and stigma in a way That that was new mm-hmm. And I also think, I'm super aware of the fact That my privilege probably had a lot to do with it I am like a petite Mousy girl next door from Connecticut I think people look at me and they're like Oh I want her to babysit my kids yeah. So for me to be talking about STIs was such like oh if it can happen to her it can happen to anyone right yeah and white lady syndrome yeah, exactly it's like the Connecticut white girl wasp syndrome thing and it's it was always funny to me because the journalists who would write me up um, especially if they were just aggregating the story they would never include that I was bisexual they would never include that I was the editor in chief of my campus's porn magazine like, or that like, you write erotica I'm like, I'm like awesome. yeah. exactly they would make it as like cute And, um, and as a result, shocking that this happened to her, um, which is like, so that's so part of the problem at the same time. (laughs) So yeah, it's been a real lesson in like whose stories get amplified and why. And I'm really happy now to say that there are so many more herpes activists doing this work. There's a huge community on Instagram, which I think is amazing. Um, and so it's it's been nice to see that I'm not one of the only ones anymore. And I'm also like I'm not a very good leader. I'm very much like an introvert. Want to move to a tiny house in the middle of Maine type of person. Mm-hmm. So it's <laughs> I'm I'm not the type of person who can do this all the time. I like to retreat. I'm very much a writer, and I'm I'm really happy that there are other people who are who are doing the work and honestly doing it better than. I could in a lot of ways.
3: If someone listening has just been diagnosed, what would you what would you say?
0: Oh, man, Um, you are still the same person you were the day before you got diagnosed. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is just a skin condition. Um, Just because it is incurable does not mean that you are sick forever or that you are less than you were. Mm -hmm. Um, There are so many different viruses that we carry in our bodies throughout our entire lives that don't have the same stigma. And I also would say that no matter what illness you have, no matter who you are, no matter what your identities are, no matter what mistakes you've made, you're still someone who is worthy of love and respect. And if herpes is a reason why someone is mistreating you, whether it's friends or family or a significant other, they are the problem. You are not the problem. Um, And to be really to be really kind to yourself. It's really hard to get diagnosed. There are also so many really great resources out there that I would recommend. There's a really great podcast that my friend Courtney runs called Something Positive for Positive People, where Mm -hmm. he just interviews a bunch of people who have herpes about their lives. And that isolation that you feel when you get diagnosed is so powerful. You kind of want to just hide away under your blanket and never tell anyone. And Mm -hmm. it's really helpful when you realize... This is like the biggest secret society in the world that no one ever talks about. <laughs> and I <laughs> and think you're not just alone.
2: how much it's not a big deal. Like you said, it's just a skin condition. Mm-hmm. You know, how yeah. many people are dealing with like eczema outbreaks Ugh, all the me, time on my face all day. You know, and Absolutely. It's, it's just because we have in our society said that sex is dirty, that if yep. it's somehow passed through that then it's very bad. But the day to day like you said, you forget that you even have it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You don't really know what your relationship with herpes is going to be like at the beginning. It could be something that is largely asymptomatic for the rest of your life. It could be something that's really manageable. It could be something that is more challenging but that you can definitely manage with medication and and with certain lifestyle changes. Like, it's going to be okay. I promise.
2: (laughs) Thank you for bravely bearing your soul and now hypotheticals. (laughs) Exactly. The tone of this show loves to shift. (laughs) Yay. Uh, So we'll be playing a game where you and Gabby are the contestants. I'll provide you with hypothetical situations. You guys are able to ask as many questions as you want, and then you decide what you would do in that situation. Fantastic. Our first game, would you stay with this cheater? You find out your significant other of five years had sex with your mom. When they tell Allison. you what, <laughs> when they tell you about it, they say they only did it to prove that they would still be attracted to you when you're old. Okay, I'm, you, sorry. I'm not done. They not had done. sex with her when, they, when you were together. Yes, you look just like your mom. Also, your mom was very lonely, and they wanted to help. Would you stay <laughs> with this cheater? Why would oh your God. mom do that
3: to you? She was very lonely. Yeah, but then, like, find someone else. Get
2: on OkCupid. Look, they both yeah. thought that they were doing the right thing.
0: There's so there's so many layers to this. And there I, always and- is. You're welcome to unpack them. Oh, my God. First of all, to, to make sure that he would still be attracted to you when you're older— there's so much wrong there. First of all, no, not to all. make
2: sure, just to prove to you, you know, because you were getting worried you. about aging. Oh, oh you boy. were, yeah, you couldn't. How stop generous talking about of him! It.
0: Yeah, yeah. Wow. My brain is just stuck on how much of a jerk this fictional person is, and I'm, I'm still in like the screaming at him, processing part of my brain right now. Um, I would not stay with that cheater and i would also have a very long conversation with my mom about boundaries and respect and possibly finding a suitable therapist to discuss certain fi- family dynamics and internal fears with i i am a hard dump that cheater vote i think
2: i don't understand what the mom was doing the mo- yeah. okay the mom had a moment of weakness no one had no one had celebrated her body in years <laughs> and you know it woke something up in her and she's happier than ever she, no. does, she does feel bad, though. Okay. Well,
3: I'm going to say, no, I'm not going to stay with this cheater. And also, I I agree about boundaries with your mom. love boundaries with your family. That's <laughs> yeah. my whole Very deal important. right now.
2: That'll be good, though, <laughs> because once you dump him, they get together. And he's your oh, stepdad God. now? Yeah, he is. I'm no. not going to you know. that way. I should have stayed with that cheater after all. So he
3: could be your husband instead of your stepdad? Yeah. What sort of Game of Thrones nonsense is this? <laughs> Hypotheticals. <laughs> oh my God. So if he's your stepdad, do you ever hook up? Gabby, that's disgusting. Wow. Oh,
2: that's what's disgusting. Yes. Wow. <laughs> Our next game Are they an alien or just rude? Okay. While at a dinner party, you request a cup of tea, and the host gives you coffee. When you say, oh, I actually wanted tea, the host says, that is tea. (laughs) You drink it to be polite, and it is delicious, but it is definitely coffee. Is this person an alien or just rude?
3: I think they're an alien. Why? How do you not know what coffee and tea are? How would you mix that
0: up? Sometimes it's hard to admit that you don't know the difference between coffee and tea. Maybe <laughs> wow.
3: wow, what an empathetic person we have here. Or maybe Ella doesn't know the
0: difference. Ella's between... like, yeah, if you could just explain to me, I mean, not me, uh, the listener. <laughs> <My> friend, uh... <laughs> this poor alien, can you explain it to them? I, I mean, I would probably go with alien um, because I don't think that there's malice involved in this. Ah. I think it's unless that's like a high key passive aggressive maneuver like that is some alarming and creative gaslighting to say this is coffee. Um, So I'm hoping it's an alien or somebody who just really loves Diet Coke and has never had coffee, which is me. What is your relationship to this person? You
2: just are going to bypass her saying she's never had coffee.
0: I've recently I'm exaggerating. I've recently become a coffee drinker only in the last year. Oh, but you've had it in
2: your mouth. You know what it tastes like.
0: I have, but I will admit that I, coffee and tea were fairly interchangeable to me. I was like, this is a brown substance. It's hot. I like my drinks cold. This is for someone else.
3: Interesting. Diet Coke is amazing. And if Diet Coke wants to sponsor us, I am open to it.
0: <laughs> it me is too. The best. They should, yeah. It Eggo is- waffles or Diet Coke are my forever spawn con if they're interested. Eggo waffles.
2: Well, I hate to break it to you guys, but the host of this party doesn't have taste buds. Whoa! <laughs>
3: but don't they know the difference in the look between coffee and tea? Yeah, and they're just fucking with you.
2: Oh, they're just a prankster? (laughs) Okay, our last game. Mm -hmm. Would you lie or tell the truth? You borrow your roommate's favorite dress and vomit all over it, destroying it completely. You then return home to find that your place has been robbed. Your roommate assumes the robber also took her dress. Would you lie or tell the truth? (laughs) I would lie. (sighs) fully
3: lie really absolutely oh what a convenient time for me to be robbed yeah what um what is my relationship to the roommate you're good friends
0: yeah i would lie um ella oh my god i'm so torn oh no um uh (laughs) throw that shit in a dumpster and lie (laughs) i think i would lie too i don't like what that says about me but i think i would lie Oh, wow. yeah. oh yeah! Oh, I don't like conflict or confrontation. I, <laughs> I think I'm just gonna let that robber take that dress, well, right?
2: Well, guess what? She staged the robbery for insurance money, and she knows you're lying. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god!
3: I thought you were gonna say they catch the robber, and then the robber's like, "Here's everything back. I did not. What dress? I didn't steal the dress." Well,
2: they, in a way, she did catch the robber because she was the robber. Wow! The robber was you the whole time, and you got to get a new roommate now.
0: Ella, do you regret lying? I, oh, yes. I don't like to get caught doing things wrong. I regret it, but I stand by the decision. (laughs) Wow. I stand by it. Yep.
2: Thank you so much for playing our game. Where can people find you?
0: You can find me on Twitter and on Instagram as at brosandpros, because I write a lot of pros about bros. (laughs) And you can also find me at elladawson.com.
2: Thank you so much. This was so delightful.
0: Thank you guys for having me on. <laughs>
2: Stick around after the break. We'll be coming back with topics to talk about. How to be an adult? Oh boy. Welcome back to Just Between Us. It's time for Topics. X X X X X X X X, X. Baby.
0: Uh, so this
2: week, I wanted to discuss what makes you an adult. Yeah, I don't know. It's an interesting thing because now we're in our 30s, and <laughs> that's old.
3: I, You know what, though? I've, a lot of my friends, I forget, are not my same age and mm-hmm. are actually older and maybe entering their 40s, and I'm like, I've changed my perspective. Where I'm like, oh, 30, whatever, 30's not old. Like, 40s will be fun. Like, I've, like, totally changed my... Idea of things because I'm just like no one's an adult,
2: right? I think that's a big part of it is like that. No, I used to. My parents were so parents that I like thought, oh, and then one day you suddenly know everything, no, you can do everything, and you're capable, and you can support yourself, and that's an adult. And now it's and now sometimes I'll ask my my dad something, and he'll be like, I don't know, and I'll be like, What do you? you don't know yeah you're supposed to know everything i mean i never had that delusion
3: uh <laughs> i never i never thought of my parents as adults
2: but um so maybe it's been an easier transition for you than for me
3: i mean i guess i i know how to pay bills mm-hmm. i know i know how to like do my like checking account in my savings account i know how to what does that mean do though like keep track of them and look at them and like <laughs> okay
2: look at that you know how to look at your savings yeah
3: and i know how to like make like make room for taxes and like i've i've I've, i think i'm more of an adult now than i was let's say when we met like for sure you know i've definitely um parts of my body hurt all the time
2: Mm
3: -hmm, mm -hmm. um i can't really get super drunk anymore because it lasts for days uh i I mean I think there's definitely like signs of aging now is that adulthood I don't, I don't know. know I think maybe like living together with a partner would make me feel like an
2: adult like if I had a home, if I was like nesting and had a home, it is wild to have a home uh yeah, as a new found home person yeah um it is it is weird because moving in with Jake. My life is just still my life. Like I thought, you know, yeah,
3: that you would be like now I'm a housewife, and like that's not happening. I'm
2: like cooking more than I've ever cooked. I'm like cleaning. I like do his laundry. Like I am in this like domestic place I've never been really before with a partner, uh, in a lot of ways. And I'm still like I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Yeah, (laughs) like I think for me a big thing about being an adult slash not being an adult is like being financially stable. Sure. Like, you know, so many adults aren't. I know. So, again, like, it's this preconceived notion that's not true. Yeah. Like, I, you know, I think that. It's an impossible thing to quantify. I know. I mean, it
3: can't can't be when you reach a certain age. I always felt like 18, you're an adult, make no sense. Or then in Judaism, when they're like, you're 13, you're an adult, I'm like, okay. Yeah, right. And then if it's like, okay, 21, when you can drink in the US, it's like, okay, but that's still like, then are 16-year-olds in France adults? Like, what are we doing here? (laughs) You know? And also, like, then it's so much predicates on a partner. So, like, if you don't have a partner, are you an adult? Which, like, yeah. Yes, of course you are. So like I there's no like one thing,
2: you know? I think that I all, always look at like my older sister as an adult cuz like she's 5 years older, she's married, she has kids, but I was I was at dinner with her and my parents a few months ago and she was like, "I don't know where my Bloomingdale's credit card goes to." And we're like, "What?" Ah! And she was like, "Yeah, like I don't know how that gets paid off." <laughs> And we were like, what are you talking about? She's like, yeah, I mean, I'm sure it gets paid off, but, like, I don't know how or by who. (laughs) What you do! And and it was like, oh, cool. Like, you can still, like, keep your children alive and, like, run a household. And, like, have a family that's, like, doing well and still just, like, have no idea how this bill gets paid. Like, (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure there are people with high-paying jobs. Like, not even with families, but
3: with high-paying jobs who are just, like... Uh, like, couldn't name uh, countries
2: outside of Europe. <laughs> or all these super successful people whose money managers steal all their money and they don't notice. Oh, that's you know? my fear. But, like, people are fucking up left and right. And I think that that honestly alleviates a lot of the stress to be an adult. Yeah, Because I I think that maybe some of the biggest changes is now I I can just do things myself. Even mm-hmm. though I could always probably have done them myself, I can just do a lot of things without asking other people how or for approval or like stupid things like I hung up photo I hung up like frames on the wall by myself yeah and like in the past I would have been like well I can't do that really well kind of like because I'm not great at like Home home stuff and I don't have like a great idea of like what's level and I was like can put this up and it will be good enough and then i just did it (laughs) yeah
3: i feel like i regressed a little because i had a i had a partner that i was with for a while and then we had a dog and then like she was gonna move into this place that i got that was like a real house and then now i feel like a divorced dad Mm -hmm. like i feel like i moved in back into a bachelor pad it's just me and the dog like i i have all my like movie posters up the way that like a you know like a, a teenage boy might like i'm just like back to being like divorce dad pad.
2: Well, I think that that's the thing I was thinking about this morning is that like I was like I think I thought life like just like w- moved got, forward yeah like, yeah, moved yeah forward in a way and I'm in like no it's like you have like stops and starts and reversals and yep. like I used to make more money than I make now and now I'm like worried about money when I wasn't worried about money a couple years ago and like just, like, you keep – there's going to be setbacks yeah. and, like – the, but then, like, on the one – so on the one hand, I'm way more worried about money than I have been in a long time. And then on the other hand, I'm now living with my partner. Yeah. So it's, like, these, these like, things that are at odds where, like, in the one right. hand, I'm living a much more, like, technically adult life. And in the other hand, I'm, like, oh, my God, I'm going to – I'm going to have to drive for Lyft, you know? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. So I think it's just, like, an – expect. it's best to have an expectation that that you'll never feel – like you're an adult. You'll you're... never feel like you have it all under control. That's Yeah, that's true. Tamika, do you want to come in and tell us how adult you are? You feel like a, an adult to me. <laughs> okay.
1: Tamika, do you feel like an adult? No. I, and I find it really funny that Allison thinks I seem like an adult. That's really great.
2: Oh, yeah. You seem super organized and stuff. Is that the impression that an adult gives? Just I don't know. I think so. You seem capable and like you're able to do your job really well. And that you're someone I would go to to ask for advice about stuff. Is that wild? I barely
1: know you. <laughs> no, no, that's, that's, you know, that's a producer for sure. I guess we have to seem like adults. so
3: Yeah, the producer compliment. has to seem together. Otherwise, the talent will freak out.
1: Uh, fair. I, I think it's fairly recent that the, the word adulting has come into, like, yeah, our dictionary. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't love that. I don't love that word. I wonder if we're like really sort of overthinking the idea of being an adult in a new way that much older generations didn't Mm -hmm. or didn't talk about as much.
2: And then it causes people to panic because they think they're doing it wrong. But it was just like
3: when you were when the boomers were doing it, you just got a house. (laughs) <laughs> well, right, I think a big
2: thing is that the middle class doesn't exist anymore, so right. it's impossible to like get these markers that like used to be like what an adult did, yeah, like, I don't know if I'll ever have a house like right. it's just it's so now that all feels so out of reach that you feel like it's your fault and you're not the adult, right, versus exactly just a changing society, yeah, economy. yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: Yeah, and that like maybe even changing of what we what you want like mm-hmm. maybe the the things that you you want are not like the house and kids that past generations wanted, right? You know, you just want to be able to like fly to Ibiza and and uh, do drugs and dance and that's yeah whatever money you
2: have to do that. Oh, okay, yeah, for some people, sure. <laughs> you know what I mean?
3: Like you're like I'm an adult because I can just go and do that and I don't need anyone's permission and I don't want a house. Yeah. I assume. This is my idealized version of what, like, rich people are doing.
2: Of all the places to go, Ibiza is not high on my list. (laughs) How would we rate the episode overall?
1: I'm trying to think of a good rating. I'm new to this. I can't think of anything funny to say. I give it Five stars? (laughs) Five stars?
3: Wow, we don't have anywhere to go from here. Yeah, let's quit. Unless it's five out of a hundred stars and you're fucking with us.
1: Oh, no. (laughs) Five out of ten stars. No! God damn it, we were so close. Well, oh well. One day we'll impress Tamika. Well, I really liked Ella Dawson, you know, just sort of opening up a dialogue about herpes and how common it is. I Mm -hmm. think it's really brave what she's doing. Uh, And not making it seem like she's being brave. Like, Mm -hmm. I think that's really, really important.
3: Yeah, without – I like without making it seem like she's doing something huge. Mm -hmm. Because she's very matter-of-fact about it.
2: And I thought it was interesting to just learn about more of the day-to-day of what what it's like to have it and how it is different in other people and how stress is a trigger and just, you know – how it behaves like a lot of other kind of chronic illnesses. Absolutely.
3: And also that our sex education uh, is a failure because you think like condoms will prevent everything and it absolutely doesn't. Mm-hmm. And like that there's this thing of like, oh, probably people are like, she was probably having unprotected sex and that's how it happened. Which honestly, like whatever, don't judge that. But like the the it, you could absolutely be doing everything quote unquote right and it doesn't exactly. matter.
1: Yeah, I think her calling it a skin condition was a big deal because I've never Mm -hmm. heard it described that way. Right. Um, That's what it is. Yeah. Exactly,
3: exactly. Um, And it shouldn't be this thing that people, like, agonize over. And also I loved bringing in, um, the the, like, the warning about abusive relationships. I think that's really important. Yes, that was huge. Yeah. Um, I rate it uh, uh, 10 out of 10 women in suits. Oh, yes. I love a woman in a suit. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the – have you ever seen Kate Blanchett in a suit? Of course.
2: <laughs> I'm on the Internet. Oh, wow, dreamy. <laughs> what was our funniest part? Dear God, I hope it's something I did. That something you did? Yeah, I need a win
1: uh your hypothetical about the boyfriend hooking up with the mom that was pretty really? funny that was pretty funny
3: my favorite hypothetical was uh uh lying about the dress oh that was a tough one it was no it wasn't because i immediately knew myself and was like oh absolutely lie 100% <laughs> lie i would tell the truth why because i like to tell the truth
2: oh I, I can't really keep stuff in inside
3: very oh well. I would, that's, I would be like, that is perfect. I would go in, take some of her jewelry, and be like, oh, my God, they took your jewelry. Oh, my God. <laughs>
2: well, that was very revealing. Thank you to Ella Dawson for being our esteemed guest. Just Between Us is hosted by me, Allison Raskin. And me, Gabby Dunn, a thief. <laughs> our engineer is Brendan Burns. He also composed our killer theme music. Our producer
3: is Tamika Weatherspoon. And our supervising producer is Josephine Martirana. Our executive producer is Chris Bannum. Just Between Us is a production of Stitcher. Don't steal from me. I'm not going to. You give me your clothes. Not anymore. <laughs>
1: Stitcher.